0: Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We find out why people do what they do, how they do it, and what the future of their work is. My guest today is Mike McGrail. Mike is a whiskey marketing consultant that I know from here around Edinburgh. You can get in touch with him at mcgrail underscore whiskey on Instagram and Twitter. Check him out at mikemcgrail.co.uk. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the conversation. Cheers. Cheers. Mike McGrew. So Welcome, Sanja. This is the Ardamurkin. Mm-hmm.
1: How do you rate it? It's very good, especially yeah. for such a young whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Good bit of depth. Yeah. Like it. Um, you are in the whiskey
0: business. Yeah. In the whiskey land. Um, what is it that you do in that
1: space and Yeah. Do you get there? So I think um, yeah, I'm. I'm a marketer by trade, and my big output really is is content. So video and visuals. Um, more to be honest on the production and direction side. That sounds very Hollywood, but I'm. I'm more of the. Yeah. The writer, the producer, the director. I'm okay with the camera, but I would never say I'm a pro. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I tend to work with good pros. Um, so up until recently, I was head of content and social for quite a small whiskey company unfortunately it was laid off we don't even need to go into that (laughs) because it's not that (laughs) interesting and also it's led to massive opportunities yeah yeah um and yeah so that that's me i'm kind of i've been in in social media marketing since around 2008 Wow. So I had. The birth of social. Yeah. So I worked in a small agency at the time and I had clients on Bebo and MySpace. We were running uh, pages for them. (laughs) And the first one was a chain of five nightclubs, but not the most salubrious of uh, five nightclubs. and stuff was getting posted on these Bebo pages you would not believe. Wow. Um, at the weekend, I was having to go in there and just wipe out those those horrendous photos. Anyway, <laughs> digression massive there, but that's how long I've been in the kind of social digital game. Yeah. Various guys have yeah. uh, worked in agencies, but the, the predominant thing I've done is is work for myself. So about eight or nine years, I had uh, uh, a little agency called Velocity Digital, and then couple of years prior to the pandemic opened a video production agency um but that was ripped apart in about 48 hours by the pandemic uh that summer there was 25 jobs booked up and down the uk and within 48 hours every one of them was cancelled and i just went i've got to pull the plug on this right now and at that point that's when this company weems family spirits got in touch to say hey mike we need some video stuff can you do that and that morphed into a role yeah so that was one year 10 months and then (laughs) A couple of us got made redundant, unfortunately. So now I'm back out there as myself yeah. and absolutely thriving and, and loving it. Wow. So it's wow. it's cool. It's put a lot of fire back in my belly. Yeah. Mate, hey, so uh, take us back to, like, what got
0: you into that whole space? Were you into marketing as, like, a kid and into that world? Or was it a, uh, um, lights came on with social?
1: It's an interesting one because my dad ran a pretty big marketing agency in Edinburgh back in the day. In fact, it still exists. There's just a couple of them now and he kind of mm-hmm. oversees it. Um, but I never really thought it was what I wanted to do. I was gonna, I did a classic, like I want to be a fireman. And then I've got c- quite a lot of people in the army in my family so i seriously thought about that at one point in fact i was in the office at shanwick place in edinburgh getting weighed and measured and all that um and i'm really glad i didn't because probably at that time i 100% would have ended up out uh, in afghanistan which i honestly don't think i could have handled um and then i started two degrees a hospitality degree (laughs) because i worked in bars and like waiting tables from a very young age and absolutely loved it yeah Thought, oh, I want to open my own bar. Started this hospitality degree at Napier in Edinburgh, and on day three we're in the kitchen shelling prawns, and I'm going, This is not <laughs> what why am I doing this? This is awful. Um left that and then I worked in this this job, honestly, this job that I had for one year, I worked for Lund Poly travel agents. Sitting. I feel I remember their yeah. adverts on, like, Clyde yeah. back in the day. Oh, yeah. definitely. I mean, yeah. So they're, they're part of, like, the Thompson group or whatever. Yeah. So I was sitting, selling holidays to Tenerife face-to-face, and I was only, I wasn't, you know, I was probably 19? Yeah. And so many skills were learned doing that, but yeah. then I was like, I need to go back to uni. So did a marketing degree, finished that, and then have really been in it ever since. Wow. And the social side of it came around... Um, I was working at an agency that did SEO and and Google Ads, and I was like, I got onto Twitter early, I started following these guys out in the US, and they are talking about social media marketing and how brands need to get on board with it, and I said to my boss at that agency, let's try and be one of the first to do it. So, um, the first people we did it for was uh, SemiChem, it's like the Scottish chain of, of, it's like a I've got say crappy boots <laughs> like, you know. Boots without the meat um, deal yeah. Exactly yeah Without any food I don't think uh, Certainly none you'd want to eat Sorry if anyone's listening Sorry to We love you Semichem Thank <laughs> yeah. you for our drugs <laughs> Yeah Thanks for the ibuprofen When I'm hanging In a weird town And it's only place open um, So Drink responsibly Yeah um, yeah, and GHD, cl- eh, not clippers, <laughs> they're completely different, straighteners were like, they had come out and everybody was talking about them. And I said, why don't we get someone to do tutorial videos of how to curl the hair and straighten the hair? Did you
0: a hair straightening videos? I think I might have. I think I might
1: have. I genuinely think I might have. I think I did one of them when I had uh, hair. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I-, I was 40 last week and I've still got a lot of hair, but it's getting greyer by the day. So... <laughs> So we did these videos and put them out on Twitter and it really, really, really worked. I mean, so that was very early social and yeah. very early video. I mean, you, it, they were on YouTube, you, you know, there was no native video or anything. Yeah. So, wow. so, that, and then I just thought this is pretty cool and had some success in it. And then, yeah, four or five years later, I decided to give it a crack on my own. Yeah. Set up, first client with Skyscanner, running all oh, their social, wow, their okay. customer service as well. So I ended up hiring two people to run that. Yeah. And the problem with Skyscanner is, for those who are listening that might not know Skyscanner, it's how you find a great flight deal, but you're not booking the flight with Skyscanner. Yes. So you'd have people at airports all over the world on the Skyscanner Twitter saying, why is my flight <laughs> delayed? <laughs> my steward was an asshole. And, you, and it was just like, you didn't book the flight to us. Please take it up with your yeah, thing. Copy-based, just copy just base copy paste. And then that led to loads of other, like, a, well a whiskey client came on board, right, and that's right. where the whiskey thing came in. But just prior to going out on my own, I'd worked in another agency, and we had the McAllen and Highland Park. Nice. And I was quite a big part in launching them onto social, and I was like, right, I love whiskey, yeah. and I love social, and at some point, I hopefully I can work in it, and that's yeah. kind, of, kind of what happened. That was so babbly, sorry. I loved it. Feel free to cut some. <laughs> no, absolutely love that. <laughs> Whose
0: journey is linear? Um, no good one is. I'm really interested, see the moments early on, like the yeah. army office or the, these, you know, ripping a prawn leg off in a kitchen. <laughs> what was it uh, What was it in you that was like, nah, this isn't um, it? Because that's like such a, it's a difficult skill to learn and a hard one, but so essential to end up in the place that you might want to be is... To say no to something, or yeah. or not even say no, just to walk away, maybe. Yeah. What, what was it that made you do that?
1: Do you know, the funny thing with the, the army was, that was probably when I was doing that hospitality degree, and I went to the recruitment office, and, you know, went through the kind of basic test. Yeah, you've got good enough height, your weight's fine. What are you doing with yourself just now? And I said, I'm in the first year of a degree, and they said, well, that means we'll send you to finish your degree and we'll send you to Sandhurst to be an officer. And I didn't want to be an officer. Yeah. Because my cousins and great uncles and stuff who were in the army, I remember them always saying to, to me, they didn't like the guys who went to Sandhurst and then all of a sudden they're in the field yeah. with zero experience. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to be that guy. I'd rather start at the bottom. And that kind of ended it for me. Mm-hmm. Of course, I could have chucked uni and gone in as private or squaddy yeah. or whatever. But yeah. I just didn't. And then, to be honest, I, I don't think I would have been built for it. Right. I just, I think even the stuff we're seeing right now in, in, in Russia and, no. and in Ukraine, um, I see some of that, and I think could I be involved in that in any way, shape, or form? And I just don't think I've got the, the, yeah. the mentality for it, yeah. um, and unfortunately, a lot of the people that are there don't have the mentality for it, and it will go on to affect them for the rest of their days. Yeah. But I think I think that was more of a that that was a kind of clear reason not to do that for me. With the, with the degree thing, and I think it probably is the first time in my life I went, I need to stop this right now or I'm going to end up going down a path that I don't want to go mm-hmm. down and maybe get trapped and then maybe start earning okay money and then you can get too comfortable. Get that golden handcuff. Aye. And I just went, nah, had enough. Spoke to my mum and dad and they're like, cool, don't worry about it. And you could do like a false start so you, you right. could get your funding another time. Yeah. I don't know if it's still the case, but at the time, if you were Scottish and you went to Scottish university, it was all paid for. Yeah. You know, there was no fees um so yeah i think you're absolutely right the earlier you can decide to not do something that maybe seems like the sensible thing to be doing um then it's all only gonna stand you in good stead in the future yeah but it's it's also something that i know people that i've known for 20 years more and I'm not like slamming the financial services sector here at all, but they work in financial services. Some of them have worked for the same organization, right? and they've been promoted, and I'm sure they're earning great money. But every time I see them, how's work? Hate it. Yeah. It's miserable. So that, at my point in time, I'm going, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. Because these guys are like me, late 30s, 40, got a long time to go. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And you're just going to keep going down that route. Yeah. Because there's no way you're that bad energy doesn't affect everyone around you. Yeah. You know, it's that thing. It's like I'll chat to people in the school playground when I'm waiting for the boys to come out. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and they're like, oh. You know, same shit, different day. Yeah. See when people say stuff like that to me, I'm just like... like why are you doing it? It's just the energy just gets drawn out of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I was staying at a hotel the last two nights and I walked out the front door in the morning for a bit of um, fresh air. And I said to the... The, the, the door guy, it's not, definitely not the right word. Whatever they're called. Ten, uh, I'm not going to get a better yeah. one either, yeah. The, the, the lovely man on the door, yeah. I said, Oh, the weather's looking great. And he went, Just wait an hour, son. <laughs> <laughs> That's so That's Scottish. Scottish. So Scottish. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, this is Cameron House, this beautiful place. I'm looking out at Loch Lomond. There's blue, blue skies over the hills beyond. I just wait an hour, son. <laughs> <sighs> That's so, yeah. Weird. I feel so, like um,
0: the guys in the in the Balmoral in Edinburgh, when, you you know, rather than getting the door
1: for you, I feel like if you get the door for them, oh, they're so sort of they're They're, they're lovely, uh, famous for it. They're yeah, yeah. amazing, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's just so I think if you don't recognise at an early stage that something's not right for you and you don't eject, then I, th- I can understand why people just end up in yeah. that spiral of, do you know what, I'm earning okay money. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. So you have this um,
0: thing where I, I get that launching out either on your own or mm. into a, a less kind of structured or secure career doesn't necessarily come with less suffering than the misery some people put themselves through no. in in yeah. other careers. But there is something about um, launching out your own or being in, a, being in the space you've been what is it that makes that worthwhile? Because it just comes... It's like a different set of problems, right? But they are more thrilling, probably.
1: They are just as challenging, if not more. Yeah. What kind of keeps you in it or gets you at it? I think um, I think you you do have problems, but there's you're maybe in control of more of them. Yeah. So if you're in a job that you dislike because you don't like the people you work with or you don't agree with the people you work with or your boss or the owners of the company or whatever... Mm. There's only so much you can do to either try and change those around you or change the culture or change the way the business operates. Before you have to just change yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, before you've got to ultimately say, well, I'm out of here. Yeah. And again, not everybody's going to do that. I think going out on your own. So I was... I had just turned 30, so 10 years ago, and my wife was pregnant with her first kid, and I decided to leave a very cushy job in an yeah. agency, which, by the way, I really enjoyed that, but yeah. there was just this real desire and i think it comes from my dad he always ran businesses and so did his dad and i don't know i don't know if it can be genetic but right. uh, yeah and i do think i do believe it's more state of mind as well so you know it was a not it was a mental time for me to go and do yeah. that crazy and i'm lucky that it worked but it also didn't work down the line you know yeah. there's been there's been failings. there's been massive learnings but the number one thing that now that I am back out of my own, the big thing that makes me understand what the advantages are of what I'm doing now versus being employed are that I have far more choice over who I work with right. or who I work for. right. So I've said no to projects in the last few weeks that would have made me great money, but I looked at them and I went, I don't think we're going to work well together. Yeah, yeah. And I've said no. Now, I'm lucky that I'm far more senior in my career than a lot of people that will decide to go out on their own like I did 10 years ago. Yeah. And you probably just say yes to everything in the early days. Yeah. And I firmly believe you shouldn't, unless you like, are going to be unable to pay your rent on your flat or whatever, you should hold, yeah. hold your value. Because something that a lot of people who go freelance will do, they'll do a bunch of free work just to build up their portfolio, which might work, or they hardly charge anything. And then what happens quite early on because you might get a reputation of being pretty good at what you do and very cheap, yeah, and that makes it very difficult to grow from to there. Scale up, yeah. So I think I think again, like you said earlier, having the ability to say no, yeah, in those situations is hugely valuable, uh, and that gives you more freedom than probably being employed does in a lot of cases. And then when you're in
0: that space, or when you're in that space, and you've got the tempting like money thing, but yeah. you get How do you begin to examine like? Actually, what do they stand for? What do I stand for? And it, realizing I don't think that does mix. How do you do that kind of rational
1: thinking when the, you know, the money's hanging over you or the <laughs> yeah. bills are hanging over you? Uh, two things for me. One is um, sort of process driven. So where you know initial discussion will be to try and identify the the problem they're needing to solve. Yeah. And if I think I can add value and do that, I will. I'll, that's a big tick. Yeah. If I don't think I can, I'll be very honest to say I'm not the guy for you. Yeah. Um, and then the second one's pure gut. So that initial conversation, and now we're back into the world of being able to go and meet people for coffee. Quite often it will be let's catch up for a coffee, and tell me what you need. Yeah. And if we yeah. don't have chemistry, and if we don't get on in that first thing, yeah, that just tells me that this is this isn't going to work. Yeah. Because the way that I have to work is on, it's quite a consultative basis. And I will, if it's the owner of the business or somebody senior in the business, we're going to be working very closely for quite an intense initial period to get yeah. all the information. and in. So, yeah, I think it's that. It's just, can I solve the problem? And does my gut tell me this will work? Yeah. Nice. And people are shocked when you say no thanks. Like, what, what, why? And then, yeah. But don't get me wrong, I have gone, done things just, just for the money. Yeah. I'm actually not that motivated by money full stop. Right. Uh, so it's far more about... Building great relationships and yeah, doing great work. Yeah. I think that's yeah. it's a bit of a cliche, but but yes, yeah. it's, it's there
0: for you. And and when you know, how did that value set form for you? Where you were
1: like, eh, it's not really money. It's it's other things. Um, I'm not sure. I think I think it's probably always been there to be honest. So my dad did very very well for himself with the various businesses back in the eighties and nineties. I suppose we actually started his business the year I was born and he had just turned All thirty, right. so okay. when I did that it was exactly like <laughs> yeah. the same situation. good twenty years till your first kid does it then? Yeah, yeah. So um but although we you know we lived in a, a lovely area, a nice house, we were from a very early age it was like you work, mm-hmm. you we'll give you a bit of pocket money, but you know, we were we lived in an area where a lot of people were what I would class as spoiled. So just had no concept of yeah. money and they were Going off to private schools, uh, whereas I was going to the local school. Yeah. And I've got nothing against private education, but it's just a different scenario. Yeah. yeah and, okay. and, But both my mum and dad were from very, very working class backgrounds. And I think it just, my dad said, I remember my dad saying to me, money will never make you happy. Yeah, Well, wow. You know, you've got to do what makes you happy. And if a good amount of money is a natural byproduct of that, then. You're you're gonna have a great life. Yeah. I was I We were um, in the south side of Glasgow growing up,
0: and my my dad uh, became a minister, so we ended up moving to a suburb area that was pretty affluent. But it, in one sense, you really you were sort of you were given a house by the church. And right. So okay. We, we weren't necessarily there because of like we'd hit some social strata. Yeah. Sure. So it was interesting having that observation on it. Um, and and I think at one point I grew a kind of despising feature of like doctors, lawyers, great. Oh, <laughs> is that yeah. it? If you're not going to do that, then everything else is failure. And um, if you drive a silver Mercedes, then
1: that's the dullest thing in in the world. Which uh, I, yeah, yeah, I've <laughs> I've I've got a. Uh, a, a label that I attach perhaps unfairly at times but it's the, the I call it the double Audi syndrome yeah. <laughs> so two Audis on the driveway is apparently like the ultimate sign of success whereas a, <laughs> hey, I don't care about cars I drive a big Skoda estate because it can fit the kids yeah. uh, and I know it'll get me up hills <laughs> um, and oh, I might be off on one here actually but I think if those Audis on that driveway make those people genuinely happy hmm then awesome. Yeah, yeah. But not if you're only doing it because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. And then I think the scary thing is a lot of those people um, can't necessarily afford those cars and they're on these crazy credit deals and yeah. it's just this loop and loop of debt. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I had a conversation, my dad reminds me about this quite a lot. I was 13 and one day after school my dad got home from work, I sat down and I said, Dad, I'm really scared about being on the conveyor belt of life. And, he, and he's like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Dad, I'm really scared of this thing of like going to high school and then going to university because mm-hmm. you're meant to go to university and then, I don't know, meeting someone and getting married and having kids just because that's the way it's meant to be. Yeah. And he said, that's quite deep for someone at 30 to be thinking about that, to be honest. But and, and and he'll bring it up quite regularly if I'm having a moment where I'm like, Dad, oh, what am I doing with myself? And he'd be like, well... When you had that discussion with me back then, it was clear that you probably weren't gonna yeah. just go down some linear path, and yeah. I think that's uh a... unfortunately, I think the modern world is actually making people lean more towards that sort of conveyor belt thing because of this desire for status, mm. and mm-hmm. so I think socials played a really negative role in that, like yeah. this Instagram lifestyle type stuff that is just not true most of the time, yeah, and. I know a lot of people with a lot of money and like I said earlier, they're just they're just not happy.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> there's something in like you know, the chase of happiness was was really the big kind of goal for 30, 40 years once once we kind of got settled enough as societies. Mm-hmm. Eh? But then um reading this book by this guy called Paul Bloom, okay. a psychologist. So he brings this book out called The Sweet Spot, a friend recommended it, and he's saying, you know, actually Nobody's really wanting margaritas on a beach in retirement. That's that's basically just kind of alcoholism, right? <laughs> like, how long can you is that old you new? Know, how long can you do that for? But um, actually, what people want is not to be in like uh, malevolent suffering or just uh, circumstantial suffering. If you can get some element of chosen suffering that yeah. that fits who you want to be, and you have enough like joy and meaning in in that there's this kind of sweet spot between happiness and suffering that actually life really exists in. Yeah. It feels so much more like, ah, there we go. That's, that's the thing because blind happiness, no one's attained it. Um, it's total nonsense. Equally, nobody wants malevolence <laughs> and suffering. <laughs> no, um, no, no. but there's this point to hit the, which is that, you know, he calls it the sweet spot or to oscillate between. Um, and it sounds like if you can identify early on, you've got, a gut move towards that yeah
1: no you're right and I, yeah, I'll need to read that because I think um, you know Casey Neistat yeah so I came to his party kind of late on actually only about three years ago mm-hmm. I'd heard of him and then I just found him a really fascinating guy the yeah. same age as me I just thought yeah this guy's great right. so he's I, like a I, YouTuber ultimate travel vlogger right he's like he's probably the original vlogger yeah. And yep. the style of what he does—I mean, this guy was like an HBO filmmaker before he did all this. Ooh. I mean, he's—he's he's, incredibly what he does, but um, he talks about that thing where life will never be pure happiness. It literally can't be. Yeah. And like you're saying there, there will be a point of happiness that you hit, and you'll come back down from it, and yeah. hopefully you get back up to yeah. an up and down and up and down. And I think that's that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, because we're—I think like humans are far too complex to be one like the mega mega state of happiness all the time and if you are there's probably you're probably you know i don't know what you're doing
0: yeah so um creativity plays a role in your life and and you've got a bit of a uh, an ongoing role within uh, creative work and whiskey how how's that for you just now
1: it's interesting so after being made a, a month ago, which timestamps your show, I'm afraid, but uh, yeah. So <laughs> at this point in time, it's fairly raw, but I'm over it, and um, I'm doing a a project with a really well-known whiskey brand, Jura, um, and it's NPD, so new product development, which I haven't actually done before. I've been around oh. it a little bit, yeah, but they they brought me in to do that this because uh, they want completely fresh perspective on things. Um, so there's whiskey that needs to be released at some point in the future, yeah and I'm gonna have a big say in how the label will look, the box will look, the language, the colours, the whole the whole shebang. Oh, uh, yeah. And that will then lead to me doing which is probably more of my forte is, well, how do we then take this to the public mm-hmm. with content and, and, and social? So there's always gonna be creativity. Yeah. I think people get really scared of creativity. They think they're always striving to be as creative as possible and actually, I, I've, I say this to clients, I've said it to employers. I'm not a hugely creative person mm. and people always say that's nonsense, Mike, but <laughs> I'm, I'm quite process driven on it. yep. so I'm not yep. this like epiphany guy. Yeah I'll be like, no well, donre no exactly. I'm like, this is the problem that needs solved and communicated and yeah. I've got things I'll go through to get to that and that might be completely off the wall at that point, but I tend to go through the same sort of regimen with it. Yeah. Um, But having said that, when I do decide to just do something a bit daft, then I've wielded great results for myself on a kind of personal level. So I'll never forget... I went through this phase of listening to Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. Love that guy. <laughs> and I loved him, I loved him, and I loved him. And then I got to a point where I was like, this is ridiculous. This guy's ridiculous. <laughs> how, how would you sum up uh, Gary Vaynerchuk? Uh, I mean, other than massively rich, this guy is just like a machine, a robot of business and work yeah. and hustle, hustle, all the hustle culture stuff. You know, he's a, a massive pioneer in that world. And, yeah. um, and do you know what, he taught me loads. But it got to a point where I was calling kind of BS on what he was doing because I remember his Twitter bio said, family first, work later. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who was on every podcast under the sun, was producing podcasts, was flying all over the world. And I'm thinking, are you really family first? Mm-hmm. And I would never, ever dare question someone's parenting or looking after their family. But it I, I, I felt insincere to me. So I don't know how, and he'd also told a story on a on an episode of his podcast about this argument he'd had with his eight year old son, and it sounded completely absurd how it all went down. And so I basically so decided to rip off Gary Vaynerchuk and I right. created a character called Hustle Guy, <laughs> and I put it on LinkedIn. Okay. Now LinkedIn is like everybody. Worships the guy <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk and people like him, and LinkedIn video had just launched natively, okay. so as opposed to linking out to YouTube, yeah, yeah. and they were they were they 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 were giving video a boost in the algorithm. Within one day, the first video was like twenty thousand <laughs> views, and people are tagging Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> Did he come at you? I no, think if he'd seen it and he wanted to, he would have just come at yeah. you. Yeah. But do you know what? He's probably the sort of guy that would have said, actually, that's pretty good. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it went nuts. And then people are asking me for more and more. So I ended up with this whole series of just about 12 character. videos of me and in, in this this crazy character guy. Wow. And... Am I talking to a hustle guy right now? Yeah, This might be great. Did he die yeah.
0: 10 years ago? Yeah, well, yeah. you are a hustle guy. I am a hustle guy.
1: Keep it hustly. <laughs> um, but that so that was an example of me mm. just going, oh, that... I'm getting annoyed with this guy now and I'm going to try something and uh, you know what that was that afternoon yeah I put the camera in my office at home and I recorded it and edited it and got it out yeah so there wasn't a process there yeah but so yeah that is creative but it's not like I'm a massive fan you mentioned Don Draper earlier I'm a massive fan of old advertising so one of the most amazing things are the old like Porsche yeah. adverts and VW yeah. adverts that they used to put in the newspapers.
0: Because it was art
1: as well. So it was art beautiful. as well, or just like, amazing bylines and taglines and mm-hmm. stuff. And those people, I reckon the majority of those people, that was just like some sort of yeah. light bulb moment. Um, but you, yeah. you
0: bring process to it, which I think is interesting because there's, as you say, that hustle culture thing was really easy to encourage. Um, a friend of mine lived just outside of New York City. Okay. And he lived in the area where basically everyone thought they could keep up the 100-hour work thing, yeah. the hustle culture. But some people were essentially, probably if you brought them down, had a highly psychopathic profile where their um, empathy <laughs> never kicked in. And they yeah. could just do that. And it, and it worked yeah. great. But then lots of other people thought they could do that. And deeply, deeply could not. Um, and his observation was uh, surrounding New York City, you have folks who look to do that but aren't built for it. And there's this reflection, I suppose, on that hustle culture now that says, actually, do we want that? Like, what does family look like? And how do we how do we give our time to that? But then what could parodying some of these things mm. become? Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting now thinking, well... It's not just about throwing your life at these at these things. On one level, that feels almost adolescent. How do you do it in a way that's smart and sustainable, or just actually lets you be with the other commitments in your life of family, of of health, of well being, of the lot, Um, which I think does take creativity because that's the that's that weave of how do I make these things Mm -hmm. work together, how do I carve up life, and
1: yeah, right, yeah, right. I I agree, and I think that more people are I think the pandemic's helped people probably understand mm. that there's there's more to life yeah and that balance is absolutely key. Yeah. Um, you know, we all work hard, I work hard, but I have always had so much time for my wife and my kids and to be honest, the thing is that they're my wife's always been so supportive of yeah. anything I've wanted to do. Yeah. Um and without that foundation I think it's very difficult to that it doesn't have to be a partner or, or children, it could be a parent or a best yeah. friend, but just someone that kind of is your cheerleader, but also like she will be devil's a- advocate Aye. and yeah. say, Is that the right thing? and yeah. you know show, what's going to cost that? Yeah, and, and yeah. so that I'm like, I'm quite lucky that my balance has kind of been afforded to me because of the way we've managed to set our lives up, but yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah, people's mentality is definitely switching.
0: And how, how does some of that work for you then? So, like, I love hearing about these habits this is very tim ferris which is <laughs> my my version of gary v was i loved the tim ferris oh, absolutely um but yeah how do you make life work you know what does a daily schedule or not schedule look like for you what makes it work
1: yeah it was it was a lot easier for that kind of near two-year period when i was in that role because in a way was, i was just i was at the beck and call of what was being done and when yeah now, if I'm honest, my head's absolutely spinning because I'm working on multiple projects, mm-hmm. um, two in whiskey, one not, and that means I'm maxed out and I'm trying to get the right like cadence and the yeah. right way of operating with those and I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, tomorrow I'm going to have to get up at 7.30 to drive to White Mackay HQ in Glasgow. Yeah. Um. So, But what I've said to them is I'll be here every Wednesday. So at least I know I can... That, yes. that, that structure's there. Yeah. The rest of the week's gonna be a bit kind of nuts for a while, but I'll get used to it. And but one thing I've always, always been really strict on myself is that if I don't need to be working at five oh five, I won't be working at five oh five. I may, you know, go home, see the kids or go and play football or tennis or yep. whatever. Um I may go back on the laptop later that night, yeah, but I'm not um, I just don't believe in working 12 hour days because Straight I think through. everybody can be far more efficient. Yeah. Um, and I learned that in the agency world, the marketing agency world, and it comes from the New York agencies, the, the London agencies. They just worked their fingers to the bone and they yeah. used to look at it and go, this but they don't have to be. <laughs> like, there's just no like, There's just no efficiency. Yeah. And that, yeah, so I think that if you can be disciplined and when you're working you really you really really work and when you're not working just make sure you've got that time not to it sounds so obvious but it's people don't manage it and i think especially if you're you do go out and your own or you, you start a business yeah you're going to work way more in the early days yeah you have to but you can just burn out so easily yeah so
0: and are there um, any like morning routines or things things you do are you a uh... Slay your dragons before breakfast, night or, or, or you just like scroll
1: until you gotta hit the shower. Yeah, no, I'm a morning exerciser, mm-hmm. uh, not as much as I like to be, but um, I like to. So, uh, I, I'm I'm usually in the gym. A couple of times a week by 6 30 for the gym opening nice. and i blast out a, a workout for half an hour and then i'm just fly through the rest of the day yeah. can't exercise at night unless it's sport yeah yeah. so okay. that that thing for me is huge and yeah. i am um, i i i do struggle a bit with um i've got a very up and down personality um i can be really down and then really up and not anxious but i do get a bit of anxiety but mm-hmm. I, you know i don't i don't have a, a recognised uh, mental health issue but if i'm not exercising that is right. I, I really really gets on top of me so i've i very much try to make sure i've got that routine yeah. and like yeah. my wife will say to me you need to go and do some exercise because right. of how i am and yeah. how my demeanor is so it's I, i've i've realised now how important it is and i'm just determined to keep that going yeah. But other than that, morning routine is generally go and do that and then help get three kids out the door yeah. <laughs> or take them to school or whatever, yeah. which is lovely. Like Being able to do that yeah. or a 10-minute walk to the school gates, I really value that time. Yeah. And I think that I would really struggle if that was taken away from me for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. So, yeah, I think when they're older and they're more self-sufficient, I'll probably... Like, I have this dream mark, to be honest, of, of still having a newspaper and be able right. to sit and read the newspaper, like yeah. actual paper, Yeah, over a coffee. A terrible paper sound <laughs> and probably really annoying for the listeners. Um, over a coffee while well, they're just getting ready. Yeah. And then, so, but I feel like that's probably ten years away. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just um, a wee peck on the cheek as they're running out the yeah, door. Yeah. Or, or and, like you guys uh, live right above a great cafe. Yeah. They just wander down to the cafe in the yeah, morning. And go, a good oh, yeah, yeah. You're lucky <laughs> in that respect.
0: Um, um, and with the the exercise thing is interesting because I think I, I mean I was like did a lot of mountain biking in, in school which was great nice. and then had a leg break playing football which yeah. sucked and then broke my arm very soon after so people were like do you have some sort of mm. brittle bone are you Sam Jackson from <laughs> <laughs> or are you that just, movie back in the day or you're just chocolate bones <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so um, however like I definitely noticed probably crossing 30 Maybe it's a mind switch, maybe it's not, but the impact of not exercising, especially over the pandemic time. Yeah. It had a sort of instant response. Um I remember last year in January, just taking like classic January relaxed yeah. time. It felt a bit inhuman by the end of it. And on my wife's birthday, I was like, hey, we can't go out, so let's do a Joe Wicks workout at home, Gym Spa at home. Nice. And after a half hour little Joe Wicks session was like oh no I'm such a Joe Wicks classic I feel amazing <laughs> and I haven't and it, but it really did kick oh, off in me thinking there's something here of like if I'm not doing this life isn't necessarily going to coast you know no retirement yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it's like what can I do to mm-hmm. mitigate some of these pressures or experiences or or the, and maybe being creative as well it can have that up and down nature and the mood um, yeah. not to an extent as you say that might be recognised as a as a mental health challenge but it's just a, maybe a daily sort of experience to, yep. to, to navigate moods energy um, that kind of focus time in the morning yeah
1: so. you're definitely right and I think um, you know the Joe Wick stuff in the early months of the pandemic was incredible because the five of us were doing it in the house every oh, morning cool. Oh, wow. and the boys were doing it to whatever extent they could yeah. but just like he said you'll feel amazing after this and, and you did but and then we've got a bunch of people right now who, again, work for banks. And I've, I've got mates who have been sat at their kitchen table for pretty much two and a half years yeah. now. And often they're on so many calls that there's like a 20-minute gap in the day. Yeah. And then they finish work and they're still in the house. And yeah. You know, it's yeah, just yeah. a horrible spiral. Um, and I, I do feel like the mental health impact of the pandemic's not quite yeah yeah, it has a, a lot of people, but I feel like the wave's gonna come it's when when everything's better.
0: Yeah. and um, coming up in in the future then you know as, as you sort of work this stuff, um, is there is there books you're reading just now? Is there anything current that's sort of setting up your thinking you know alongside the exercises that kind of intake of books or podcasts or where, where'd you get your <laughs> your
1: ideas? I'm boring people talking about this, right? But Kevin Hart, the comedian. Yeah. I honestly don't find him that funny. Doesn't bother me at all. I'm listening to his self-help book right now. Yeah. Which is called The Decision. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an audible one. An audible original, I think. And I had like six audible credits. Like You need to use them before you lose them. (laughs) And they were putting this book in front of me. And I've always struggled a bit with the self-help thing. Uh. And his book has just genuinely been wow. a massive friend of mine in the last few weeks, and he doesn't say a single thing that I've not heard before. But it's just his delivery.
0: Wow, what so what it, is it about it? Just it,
1: it, it, he calls it like a mental health boot camp, or the like your 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 boot camp for life, and he just literally talks about being resilient. Yeah, not being the person that when someone asks how are you doing, don't be that person. That says yeah, I'm okay, mm-hmm. or Wait a minute, son. Wait an hour, and the weather will change. You know, um, and just the way he delivers it, there is humour in it that I find funny, but I don't know what it is. It's, he's, he's like so high energy, so I yeah. actually listen to it when I'm in the gym. Yeah. So I'm coming out of the gym feeling physically great and even more mentally great because Kevin Hart's been telling me how to live my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But one thing is, he's very humble because he has screwed up so many times in the past in quite public ways. Yeah. And he's like, look, I'm I'm not I'm no angel. But he talks about um, the, the big thing he talks about, and he uses an example of when his wife has friends around, and he's maybe writing a script upstairs or writing some comedy, and he hears them all come in, and within two minutes, they're all just bitching, bitching mm. about this person, bitching mm. about that person. And he said, I put up with this. It was this new group of friends she'd gotten. Yeah. We'd moved somewhere else within L.A. I put up with it for about three months, and then... the." F- one day I just snapped and I went downstairs and told them all that they need to really think about how they're living their lives because they're all so bitter and twisted <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and so, and it just it just really drove home to me like, yeah, like we spoke about earlier, just that, just think about how your energy affects everything else yeah. around you, and it yeah. can, you can start getting a bit too deep and all that for me to be honest, but. Yeah, so that's definitely one I think people should listen to. And it's about five hours as well. So yeah, that's quite reasonable. Yeah, for little... I think audiobooks sometimes are, you know, you're there five years later and then, you know, <laughs> oh, come on. So, yeah. um, And I, I am not actually reading much more right now. I'm trying to get that, get through that. Yeah. And it's probably one of those ones I'll re-listen to. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to write more myself um, nice. from a... Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something that I'm working on. Brilliant. So um, there's a huge desire in me to create a TV series. Oh no, that's not cool. London spammer, sorry man. <laughs> Phone never rings. I didn't even think about putting it on silent. <laughs>
0: uh... I've got me time right there. absolutely god. <laughs> sorry man. <laughs>
1: Um Yeah, so this this project I'm dreaming up. I'm a huge fan of shows like Ugly Delicious and the Chef Show, all these yeah. food shows. Yeah. And I'm like, nobody's ever really nailed that from the drinks world perspective. So there's a few things out there and cool. honestly they're they're terrible and I thought I was being harsh on them, but other people that I know in the industry or whatever or who are just really into like drinks and mixology and spirits yeah. are like, nah, they're garbage, I can't watch them. So I'm writing the first few shows of those at the moment mm. in terms of the concepts and the kind of themes I want to explore with them. So it's not... Again, that's a process. Yeah. There's creativity there, but it's not really necessarily a creative process. Down the line, I'll start developing how I'll want it to all yeah. look and feel. And honestly, I've set myself the goal of getting this on Netflix or Amazon, yeah. which is nuts. But... Why not? I mean, why not? What's the point is, in saying you know, it can always go on YouTube, can't it? Yeah, not, not that'll it be does. the starting point. You yeah, know, create a few pilots, try and prove the audiences yeah. there. Um, but why not have that that yeah. lofty thing? So that's taking up a lot of my spare mental yeah, space at yeah. the yeah. moment. Uh,
0: that's that's class because I think there's that thing of having a process and like owning that that's how creativity comes out for folks. Because it can be so easy to feel like creativity is. It's like this amorphous muse that if it visits you, lucky, you know, happy days. If not, you can call it writer's block or you can call it lack of hustle or something. You can just blame it. Yeah. But having some kind of process is the is killer. if so, you ever read The War of Art? Um, yeah. Stephen, Stephen Pressfield. And um, I, I mean, just so cracking at it being like, The antidote to this kind of flitty style is just to do the work. Yeah. And I guess, how do you just do the work? You put a process in. Yeah. You follow it through. Yeah. Which is often the difference between, uh, you know, fulfilment or lack of fulfilment in the process, if not even the end result.
1: I I only feel happy and fulfilled when I know that I've I've, I've done the work and... I think you, meant, you, you mentioned it earlier, but I am one of those people that if I've got something to do in the day that I know I'm not going to enjoy, maybe a budget or a spreadsheet or something, I try and nail that early. Yeah. Just get out your mind. Yeah. A squash a frog in the morning or whatever that theory is, <laughs> but yeah. So that that um, that's where I'm I'm putting all my spare energy at the moment. So
0: one of the things coming up in the future is this whole idea uh, you were chatting about nfts and the whiskey space and um, so how do you understand
1: nfts and how's that going to affect the whiskey world yeah i mean nft is something i've become interested in in general uh, in the last gen you know literally sort of two to three months because i just couldn't get away from it and yeah. i think when you're active particularly on something like twitter it's quite hard to ignore things <laughs> like that so just started trying to educate myself about the space in general and i think the thing that it really is right now is people collecting bits of art that they really love. Yeah. Or a sports card or whatever it may be. And I think that's great. And I think a lot of people are just get really upset about it for no reason whatsoever. Um, when it comes to whiskey, whiskey's been early in terms of using it as a vehicle yeah. to reach people, to engage people, to get people excited. Yeah. And... Now you've got various brands where you can buy an NFT version of the bottle, but you also get the bottle uh, as part of that. Oh, cool. You yeah. might even get really exclusive experiences at the distilleries as part of it, or you just get something really rare. So, the Dalmore last week launched uh, 10 bottles of a 33 year old Dalmore, and that's the only way you can get it wow. by the NFT, you get the bottle, and the bottle is actually stored in this secure place out in Singapore which is at the perfect oh, wow. perfect conditions for ensuring your whiskey's kept in peak museum style conditions. <laughs> now this is like nine and a half thousand pounds each so it's not you know it's not Joe blogs it's just snapping them up but it's um it's allowing people to get involved in in things just in a bit of a different way. Yeah. And I think what we'll see is we'll see the NFT community all of a sudden perhaps taking an interest in whiskey. People that might not have been interested before because whiskey, spirits, and wine have done a great job of getting involved early. But I do see the future is that that trade off of the digital art yeah. and some perks and a, a physical thing. And I think it was Adidas, but I've launched three or four new pairs of sneakers, and you're not getting those unless you uh, buy the NFT. Yeah. Uh, so that 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 to me is where where it's gonna go. Um and people are just gonna get more and more excited about it. There'll be people that will never ever 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 want to understand it. yet yeah. People that n- try and don't understand it because it is quite complex until you tell you like, really to understand at the moment it's almost everything's an analogy about it. Like it's yeah. like, well,
0: there's the Mona Lisa and then there's the certificate that says that is the Mona Lisa yeah. and you're kind of buying the certificate Rather than the picture, yeah, because you could take a picture of a picture. Yeah, so there's something around that, but essentially it's this ability to engage with a token that lets you take part in a community in a way that we haven't done before. Yeah, and formally
1: digitally. The community aspect of was absolutely massive, and yeah. a lot of that's ran through the, the the chat app Discord. And I bought a NFT version of Bunnahabhain eighteen. Yeah, because it's my favorite whiskey. Uh, a, because I wanted to go through the process of buying one. It only cost me £30, but now I'm in this really cool community of people that own other yeah. bit liquors are called. And I'm just enjoying the chat there because it's wow. a great little whiskey community sprung yeah. up, up out of it. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's big aspects to it and that sociable community aspect of it. And an anonymous way, the majority of the time, which I think people really appreciate now, because mm-hmm. there's no, there's nothing, there's no malice there. I think anonymity is dangerous in social when there's, it, it's a, you, you can be malicious with it. Yeah. Whereas this is yeah. just people who, love a thing, and it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if you've got followers, none of that stuff it just doesn't exist. It's just conversation, yeah, and sharing shared passion, yeah. And so where, uh, where can people connect with you? Uh, yes yeah, so I'm, I'm everywhere on social. I think um, I'm probably most active on, on LinkedIn. So just search Mike McGrail there. I share quite a lot of my own content on there. And also I try to share sort of valuable marketing insight. And then um, Twitter, I've been there for a long time. That's Mike underscore McGrail. And if people are whiskey fans, there's uh, McGrail underscore whiskey, which is my uh, Instagram account where I do 60 second tastings. And um, share some photography and sort of behind the scenes on some of the work I'm doing. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, if if it's out there, I'm probably on it. So just just search. <laughs> and there's not many Mike McGrails in the world, to be honest. So yeah, it's probably going to be me. <laughs> um, and yeah, just
0: you know, like the the process that you went through, all the stuff you've alluded to, has been phenomenal. Because I think anyone who's been in a creative industry stepped out on their own, run it, and just just gone through the process over years and can articulate learning from that being in that that's a gift man like mm-hmm. to those who some people are going to be in those more traditional roles and really want to jump out and need somebody that says just do it or you can transition there's a there's a jump there to make like you say when you were chatting through some of your experience of LinkedIn, and and putting word out around redundancy. Again, just the way I, I've probably not actually heard anyone articulate that process like you had. Um to be
1: candid about it and then to mm. see a response from it from people. Yeah been encouraging. No, that's great. Thanks. I really appreciate that and um hopefully people find some value in what we've been talking yeah. about. Um yeah I think I think the that example you say there of me going on LinkedIn and saying I've been made redundant, it was a shock, but I'm going to be positive and it means I can work with people now Um, there's a vulnerability to that and I Mm -hmm. think that's really important as well just being able to put yourself out there it's not for everybody Uh, but yeah so I really appreciate you having me on and uh, if anybody wants to reach out feel free if you've got career advice or think I've got any wisdom I'm more than happy to share with you Uh, so don't feel like you just have to get in touch with me for professional work (laughs) (laughs) cheers Mike Well, thank you so much for joining that conversation with
0: Mike and myself. Again, check him out at Mike underscore McGrail. I'm always left feeling encouraged and a bit more resilient after these kinds of conversations. And over the next year, I'll be pushing into that a bit more alongside what we're doing with the podcast, coaching, consulting, faith and music. I'm gonna be doing more in my master's. So if you have guest recommendations or you wanna chat leadership, you wanna chat themes that podcast, please get in touch on mark at markcameron.co.